What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on the mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. And in the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener and thought leaders, to explore what needs to get done. And in this episode, I'm joined by Phil Menser. Phil is a distinguished professor of informatics and computer science at the Indiana University School of Informatics, Computing and Engineering. He's a director of the Observatory of Social Media and a member, former director, of the Center for Complex Networks and Systems Research, uh, CNET. Currently, Phil is part of NAN, a research group exploring the modeling, simulation and analysis of complex social media and information networks and the human and artificial agents who live in these networks. Phil, thanks for joining and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. To set the stage, uh, open with a big question. What is the state of fake news and misinformation today? That's a big question. I think we are in a phase of transition after years in which platforms have been very reluctant uh, to moderate speech and they've sort of taken the laissez-faire, you know, we don't want to be the arbiters of the truth. And uh, But uh, over the years, it has become more and more ap apparent how... Uh, that has led to deterioration of speech and uh, manipulation of our information ecosystems. And so platforms have gradually now started to become more aggressive in moderating, um, especially in cases such as health or elections. And now they're looking even going further and maybe adopting some kind of community review. Both Facebook and Twitter have done so, but all platforms have been aggressive in blocking extremists and people pushing, uh, you know, election and health misinformation. So um, we don't know. We're very much in a state of transition. There are discussions about regu regulation, possibly in, in many countries. Um, so both from a technical perspective, from the political perspective, from a regulatory perspective, things are changing fast and, um, and we'll see where, where it goes. Obviously, you're researching around the topic. What are some things that you learned over the last years? What have your research shown? We work on several fronts at, the, at our research center, the Observatory on Social Media. Um, we are interested in looking, for example, at what are the vulnerabilities, both of the people and of the information systems it, itself, of the information, you know, of, of our ecosystem. And um, so, for example, we look at social vulnerabilities, the, the fact that we want to be part of a community and we can select our friends or, or unselect or unfollow or unfriend those that we agree with, and how the fact that platforms make it so easy to do that, how that leads naturally to an acceleration of the formation of these echo chambers or filter bubbles, which may favor then the spreading of misinformation or the manipulation of people in a particular community that can be targeted. So there are also cognitive vulnerabilities. For example, the fact that because it's so cheap to create content, we are bombarded. There is no way that we can possibly see all the stuff that is out there. So we use both algorithmic means, you know, the ranking by, by platforms as well as our own 
sort of cognitive shortcuts to decide what to pay attention to and what not based on signals like pop what's popular or what our friends recommend. And these, these systems are very fallible. We are not good. You, you know, we're not trained as editors or as journalists. We don't know how to decide what to recommend and what not. People recommend things without reading it. And so as a result of this, our models or simulations show that uh, it is much more likely to low, for low quality information to spread virally in these systems, as well as to game um, you know, the systems, for example, by creating the appearance that things are popular, which can trick both our cognitive biases as well as the algorithms that then amplify this content. And then we look at algorithmic vulnerabilities too, the fact that algorithms are driven by popularity or by engagement and how that can amplify um, errors, can amplify low quality information, even in the absence of abuse or manipulation. But then it is easy for, uh, you know, groups of, of coordinated uh, actors, possibly controlling fake uh, accounts, or even just having, you know, people highly engaged to push a particular opinion or idea to game the system and push things to go trending or to go viral. Um, so these are all different kinds of vulnerabilities uh, that that make thing make it likely that that you know misinformation and low quality information spread virally, and then the situation is made worse by making it by by the fact that it is easy to through platform application program interfaces APIs to generate accounts or for one entity to control many accounts or for certain people to hyperactively generate huge volume of content. And all of these things can sort of further game the system. We know that a few actors are very influential. So they can be super spreaders, or we know that certain groups of accounts are highly coordinated. They form very dense uh, groups and, and communities that then can act in unison and push and make sure that certain information um, you know, spreads virally. So, so we are interested in all of these different kinds of vulnerabilities and we study them both by building agent-based models and running simulations as well as just by analyzing large volumes of data from, from the social media platforms. Do they provide you with that data or is there, do you collect it from the outside? It depends on the platforms. Um, Twitter certainly has been the platform that has been more open in terms of making it easy to access their data. So for 10 years now, we've had access to large samples of, of Twitter data. And now actually Twitter is moving in even further and they just announced uh, new programs that make it easy, easier for academic researchers to, to access their, their data for research. So Twitter certainly has been overstudied as a platform because of the availability, uh, easier availability of their data. But uh, we find that some of the problems that we observe on Twitter um, actually apply equally to other platforms. So recently Facebook has started to make some data available for researchers through CrowdTango. And uh, we're now trying to do some comparisons. It's very hard to compare you know, apples and apples because the way in which the data is available is very different. Facebook has shut down their APIs, the, 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 the APIs that are similar to Twitter, um, but, but they do make some data available. And it, it seems to us that although there are some, some differences because the platforms are different, their mechanisms are different, but in general, the vulnerabilities are similar. And there is abuse, the same kind of abuse that you observe on, on Twitter, you also observe on Facebook through Facebook pages, uh, you observe on, you know, on, on all other, 
platforms. And so, of course, we try to you know, study any platforms where we can get our, our hands on their data, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Reddit or, or Twitter. Um, but, uh, but we, you know, the lack of access to data from platforms by researchers is one of the big problems in, in this area of research. So uh, we are part of a large group of people who have written extensively about all the things that we could do if we had access to more data. For example, uh, when things are removed by a platform, uh, you know, we can't, mostly we can't see them in, in most cases. And so that makes it very hard then to study the ways in which platforms are manipulated. If we look at possible solutions for the fix of misinformation uh, and fake news, firstly, is it ever possible? And secondly, what's the role for what stakeholders? So I can imagine if it's about making removed content available, a policymaker can can ask for that, for example, or can make that mandatory. Is it ever, what is a solution direction and what is the role per stakeholder? Big question, of course. Uh, as I said, we are in a phase of transition and that applies to all the stakeholders. For example, you know, users themselves, um, in some part, they are becoming available of their power and they're banding together. Uh, and this could be for good reasons and could also be for very bad reasons. Um, so for example, the same feature of social media that makes it easy for you to push you know, social reforms that you might consider as positive, well, the same exact mechanisms makes it possible for conspiracy theories to form communities that are basically resistant to, to, to fact-checking or to verification and to push all kinds of crazy theories, whether it's QAnon or Flat Earth or whatever. You know, things that used to be fringe now, uh, you know, opinions now become, achieve critical mass because people can find each other around the world and have their own opinions reinforced and feel like, okay, I'm not alone, so therefore there must be something true to this. So in some sense, uh, some, some users are becoming more savvy of how they can uh, unfortunately reinforce their opinions, uh, you know, even if, you know, rather than um, let's say trusting more authoritative sources. On the other hand, some users are becoming more aware of their own vulnerabilities through research by our group and many other groups. And, and there are a lot of efforts towards um, media literacy and, and news literacy. Certainly that's an important component because in the end, people have to f learn this new medium. If you think about it, you know, now we access the news to a large extent in many countries through social media as much as or more than traditional media, right? Uh, you know, like TV and newspapers and so on. And these transitions in the past, you know, with the introduction of TV and before that the radio and before that the newspaper and before, these things take decades for society to adopt social norms, to learn what are the basic rules of the game and when it's okay to answer the phone and when not. And, and you know, to what extent should I trust this newspaper or that newspaper? So it will take probably many years for, for, for us to figure out how to, to use these platforms. And uh, educational initiatives, uh, news literacy, social media literacy initiative have to play a role, but it will take, it will take many years. Um, for example, there are a lot of results that show that older people have been more vulnerable to fake news, especially in the US in the years, you know, 
around the 2016 elections. But recent studies are showing that younger people are now becoming more, more vulnerable. Younger people who are growing up with social media as their one source of news. And they may not be aware about how a piece of news ends up on their on their screen. It doesn't come from a reporter or a journalist anymore. It comes from an influencer. And so, um, so I think that things could get worse before they get better, but certainly education has to be an important component. And then there is regulation, like you said, and a lot of countries are now discussing that. And it's not an easy problem. You, we've seen non-democratic governments quickly pass laws against fake news that are just excuses for dictators to suppress uh, you know, press or freedom of speech that is critical of their own governments. Here in the United States, we have now a very strong debate around Section 230, which is a portion of a law that regulates accountability of, of social media platforms. And you have basically half of the population that says that platforms should not be allowed to do moderation at all. So that basically it would be a a chaotic system where we would see even a worsening of, of what we've seen in the last few years where, uh, you know, people can, uh, without impunity, uh, use these platforms to manipulate public opinions, to incite violence, to post dangerous uh, uh, information and so on. Um, and then you have on the other side, the people who say that platforms should do more. So 230, Section 230 should be modified to provide guidelines or, or rules such that platforms, just like they are required by law to police pornography or child pornography or, or terrorism content, they should also be required to regulate uh, other types of dangerous content. And, and so people talk about reform, but they don't agree on what the reform should be. And, and the pushes by different sides of the political spectrum are going in completely opposite directions. So this will be a debate that will be with us for years. And it's not really clear you know, where it will go. And we also have to be careful because of course, uh, even those like me who advocate more regulation certainly are not advocating for any form of censorship. We do want to keep, we want platforms to be open for a variety of opinions. We want ideas to compete. Uh, uh, the problem is that with, the, with complete lack of regulation, just like in a financial market, the competition is not fair and the system can be rigged. So regulation also has to play a part, uh, but we don't know where that will go. And then of course, platforms. Platforms have been changing their, uh, you know, the rules as we go. Uh, and in a few years, they've gone from, we don't want to regulate anything to, okay, they are taking down the account of the president of the United States. Uh, these are huge, huge changes that are being discussed right now. And where will they go? We don't know. Um, as through our research, we've suggested that the fact that information is so easy to produce and generate is part of the problem because people are flooded and, and therefore all of these biases uh, come out, social, cognitive, algorithmic, create more vulnerabilities. Whereas when we were in a world where there were fewer sources of information, they tended to be more trusted and we evolved rules, ethical rules, journalistic rules, and in some sense, things were better. So now it's easier for anybody to, be a, to generate content. In some sense, that's a good thing, but now we're seeing the other side of that. So, so to me, part of the solutions also has to be in the platform mechanisms. For example, making it hard for things to go viral, 
perhaps something before it is allowed to be seen by millions of people should be checked and verified, kind of the way that it happens on Wikipedia. Um, and, uh, and there are lots of ways in which such mechanisms could be explored, whether it's through, as we said before, community review, which is something that Twitter and Facebook are both now introducing, uh, sort of going in the Wikipedia direction in some sense, um, or through other mechanisms, uh, through, uh, um, you know, making it harder to, you know, to create content, for example, checking more often if people... How, what, what does that look like, making it harder to create content? That sounds like a hard call. <laughs> Yeah, so for example, right now, take Twitter, for example, um, in order to combat social bots, which were a real big problem on the platform, this is something that our research lab has studied extensively. We coined the term social bots several years ago, and we built tools to detect uh, automated inauthentic accounts and coordinated accounts and so on. And so this was a really huge problem. And in the last few years, Twitter, for example, have become more and more aggressive. And one of the things that they do is that now you can't create an account unless you provide some proof that you're a real human, for example, through a phone number and respond to captchas and so on and so forth. These are not foolproof. There are still you know, farms out there of people in developing countries that sit in front of walls of cell phones and create fake accounts. And there is a market for these fake accounts, but certainly it has increased the cost of generating these fake accounts. And so right now, if you use Twitter, for example, once in a while you're challenged and you will say, wait, before you can post this tweet, you know, solve this captcha and prove that you're who you say you are or respond to this, enter this code that we sent to your phone. And, uh, and so that's an example of increasing friction, right? Slowing down the generation of, of, of information. And you could imagine mechanisms like that. Before you retweet, maybe if this has already been retweeted a thousand times, well, now uh, perhaps before people are allowed to retweet it, maybe a bunch of people should look at it and say, yeah. A community review. And, and that's an incredibly difficult problem, right? Because you can game these methods as well. You can create a, you know, a, a, a group of people who try to uh, uh, collude uh, in order to say, this is fine. Uh, so, so this problem of community review has to solve, uh, you know, challenges such, such as proving that uh, there is a diverse set of users and that these people are not, you know, gaming the system themselves. So it, it is a really difficult problem. And um, I think it will take several years for us to figure out how to get it right and for the research and the tests and the evaluation to go through. So so to answer your question, it's going to be all over the place. The, all the stakeholders, whether they're the users, the social media companies, governments, and also uh, you know, civil society organizations that look at issues like free speech or trolling or hate or they, they all will have to play a role in this, but it, it will take a while. We discussed it a bit before we started recording the episode. What we did take at Trusted Web, what we try to do is through open source technology, blockchain timestamp is making transparency and accountability part of the base layer of the internet. Um, that's not a full solution as, 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 as we both agree on, uh, but... Are, and, and at the same time, Jack Dorsey, uh, founder of Twitter, is working on Blue Sky, a social media network, all on 
uh, open source technology, blockchain technology. Will there be a part of the solution by open source, do you believe? What will their, the role be? Well, certainly openness and transparency are important. Uh, for example, the fact that uh, platforms have not been very transparent in uh, the rules and how they execute those rules of moderation. We've seen examples where uh, there have been reports in the media of platforms having certain rules. For example, if people violate their terms for a certain number of times, they get a certain number of strikes and then, and then they get suspended. And we've seen that political considerations have led une to unequal application of these rules. And it is very difficult for reporters or researchers from the outside to look and verify that platforms are in fact implementing even their own rules, let alone rules that might possibly come from publicly agreed upon guidelines. Uh, so without transparency, of course, this will continue to be a problem. And we already see now that we have specific platforms that specifically go after certain groups of people, which could further increase, you know, possibly polarization and, and, uh, and lead to further gaming or, or you know, for misinformation to flourish in a certain community. So without transparency and accountability, um, there is a danger for our, you know, for it to become even more difficult for a shared set of facts to become part of our of our discourse, of our of our conversations. And without facts and without, uh, you know, basic agreements of 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 facts of the world it's very difficult to you know for people to form their opinions which then lead to you know how they vote and the policies that we have and so on so i i do agree that transparency is an important point and we're certainly in favor of openness uh, we also think that these technologies could be useful as part of the technical solutions that are adopted for doing things like you know review uh, Wikipedia is, is an example where the process by which editors agree or disagree and fight with each other and then figure out who needs to make decisions in case that there are uh, differences of opinions, these edit wars and so on, you know, but the mechanism by which this process happens and ultimately there is some kind of consensus. And as a result, the quality of the information, it tends to be quite high. Uh, in fact, research suggests that the more there is disagreement, the more, uh, the higher the quality of the final product. And that's because the rules and upon which these disagreements are moderated and upon which uh, decisions are made about what content to include and what content not to include, those rules are all transparent and everybody understands them. And, uh, and so we need to move towards that kind of transparency on other platforms as well. And so technologies that help build an open set and transparent set of rules about who says what, when, could certainly help, uh, uh, you know, make progress in that direction. The platforms, they're super tech savvy. They know what they're talking about. Are regulators tech savvy enough to make it go in the right direction? Or do they have research institutes and professors like you on their side to come to the right regulations to uh, make the stuff that needs to change happen? Well, some do and some don't. <laughs> Probably this depends a lot on different countries and also 
different motivations that push different regulators. I mean, I cannot speak for the whole world, of course, but my understanding of what happens in the U.S. is that um, there are some regulators who are extremely savvy and who do consult with researchers a lot. Uh, on occasions, we have, you know, we have spoken with congressional staffers, and we've seen some of our research mentioned as part of congressional uh, discussions. Uh, so I think that certainly um, there is the possibility and the likelihood that experts are used. We've seen several experts in, in, in my area of research who have testified in Congress. And, but we've also seen examples of you know, rule makers and policy makers that um, either uh, are not savvy uh, or worse are, well, I don't know if it's worse or better, they're both bad, uh, or are just motivated by political reasons. So they don't, uh, they make arguments that clearly show that they know better, but um, they're just trying to score political points. And they are, you know, let's say accusing platforms of uh, censorship when uh, in cases that are clearly not cases of censorship. Um, and we've seen a lot of that. So um, I think both of those are problems. Uh, lack of familiarity with the technology, but probably, but equally so, if not more so, um, uh, being driven by political ideology. Um, yeah, those are both danger, dangerous things that we could see in, in any democracy, really. Absolutely. And last one, short question. The end of the decade, where are we in the state of misinformation? And nine years, what happened? Oh, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball and nobody does and nobody can answer this question. Uh, my guess is that, uh, you know, we will continue to fumble through lots of different things and some things will get better and some things will get worse. And so I could imagine all sorts of ways in which things could get better and all sorts of ways in which things could get worse. And so probably it will be some mixture of that. Uh, maybe we'll have some improvements through regulations, but we might have a proliferation, proliferation of different platforms and, and or the other way around, we might have you know, some corporation that gets, that gets even more power if it's that's possible than the current platforms. Um, you could get political minorities with that become majorities or and that successfully uh, basically take away our capability of accessing reliable information. So you could imagine all sorts of uh, apocalyptic scenarios, frankly. I, I don't think any of those will happen. Probably what will happen is that uh, some things will get a little bit better, some things will get a little bit worse. I, I often think of email spam as an example, although you know, I think the problems that we face today are even worse than the problems that we face with email spam, let's say 10 or 20 years ago. But that, uh, there was a time when email also became unusable as, as a medium. Uh, and eventually we came up with technical solutions, which meant that email became more of a centralized infrastructure from a decentralized infrastructure. And as a result of that, platforms were able to implement much more effective uh, technologies to, to to so that now there is still a lot of spam, but it doesn't do as much damage as it used to do before. Occasionally, you miss a message that you didn't want to miss, or some spam will end up in your inbox. But but basically, we figured out how email 
technology is vulnerable and most people know how to deal with that. It's it's not foolproof. There is still phishing attacks. There is still hacking. There's still all sorts of problems, but it we can use the medium. And hopefully in 10 years, we'll say the same about social media. More Most people will be aware of the vulnerabilities and there will still be problems. There will still be manipulators. There will still be misinformation, but hopefully most people will be able to use the medium in the way that we intend to. That's a nice metaphor and that's a nice, uh, le let's see where we can take it over the coming nine years. <laughs> uh, Phil, thanks so much for uh, joining the Trusted Web Podcast. Where can people find the important work you do? Thank you, Sebastian. The website of the Observatory on Social Media uh, is where all of our papers and, and videos and tools are available. That's awesome, O-S-O-M-E uh, dot I-U dot E-D-U. Let's build the trusted web together. <laughs> that was Phil Manser uh, sharing his insights from the research he did. It surprised me that social platforms are opening up their data to research initiatives, but I think that's a good thing. The more research, the better we can come with, with solutions together with the regulators, together with the big tech. Of course, the show notes, you can find them on thetrustedweb.org slash podcast. And furthermore, you'll find our report on the state of misinformation as we surveyed thousands of participants across the globe to better understand the impact misinformation has on their lives and how they view the problem. There are incredible findings there that surprised us over here. So uh, check them out. The report is available there. And furthermore, you'll find the other episodes, other guests, and there's educational materials and use cases all for building a trusted web and of course all available for free thetrustedweb.org slash podcast thank you for listening and therefore being part of the trusted web journey and let's build the trusted web together